PhD in poetics, right, to read it. So that's why I asked Tyler to come up and read the um, poem. Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Amen. All things begin. Usually in the chaos of nothing, which is also the chaos of everything. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. Take creation, for instance. We were trying to name creation in Psalm 148. It seemed like, right? Naming everything praising the God. But in the story as we have it, the creation story that we know at the very first part of Genesis, there's a whole lot of nothing going on before anything comes into, be- into being. I opened the book. I looked. There's nothing. There's no prologue. There's no introduction written by God. There's no extra word. There's no setup for this massive scene. You would think at such a momentous occasion, something would be there, but no. There is a whole lot of nothing. And then all of a sudden, out of absolutely nothing, bursts forth in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And everything in a flash starts to come into being. There's light and dark, waters and sky, earth and sea, animals, plants, sun and moon and stars, human beings and everything else. There's an explosion of creativity as chemicals and metals and air and water and fire, flesh, weather, breath, everything comes into being. The chaos of nothing becomes the chaos of everything. It's the beginning. All things begin. And there's so much stuff that despite Psalm 148's best attempt, that by verse 11, the author sort of starts giving up and uses the phrase according to their various kinds because there's just so much stuff. There are way, way too many things that in one book to name them that God creates. It's just how it is. And there still are. It's the chaos of everything. God is the author of the creative spirit. And he is well acquainted with nothing becoming something. That's what we learned there. Art, all forms of art, including music, often seem like they begin at nothing. Even if an artist is inspired by something outside of themselves, a a symphony, a a bird's song, a, a walk in nature, a child's laugh, or a grandmother or grandfather's wrinkles and kindness, a Rembrandt or a toddler's drawing, the artist before writing a single note, before drawing even one line, before making one shape, before inscribing a single word is faced with a blank page, a blank sheet of staff paper, a blank canvas. It's the chaos of nothing because literally everything is up for grabs in a new creation. Whatever, and yet, guided by whatever muse or inspiration or spirit or craft that the composer or author or artist has, the artist begins. They place a note on the staff. They begin to trace that first line of the artwork. They determine the first place their foot will go in the dance. And then... 
it breaks out, right? A second word gets written down in a poem. A crocheted chain, if you're a crocheter, gets turned around into a second row, which becomes a pattern. An actor adds another mannerism to a character they're going to portray, and the artwork begins to emerge. For the composer, though, and that's what we're going to focus on today, the creative process, almost always, but not every time, because I know we work in different ways, frequently begins with melody. And melody is what we're going to talk about today. It brings us into the everything that is music a lot of the time. Sometimes by itself, and sometimes accompanied by words and phrases. So let's unpack melody a little bit. Before I go too far though with melody, I wanna to talk to you about music as a whole. Any piece of music that you or I listen to is complete within itself. It is a whole work that exists in time, but there are a lot of different things active inside of that whole piece of music. Maybe if you remember your elementary music days, I don't know any elementary music teachers, but if you remember them, you might remember that some of those key parts are melody, harmony, rhythm, right? There are a lot of different things at action inside the complete whole. So I want you to remember there's one song, there's one piece of music that the melody is extracted out of in this case, in this example. So we're talking about a whole that acts in different ways. Over the next three weeks, I'm going to be discussing some of those aspects. Today is melody. Next week, we're going to talk about harmony. The third week, we'll talk about rhythm and what they might reveal about God and God's grace to us in our lives of faith. All right, so most of us know that a great melody can draw us into a song quick, right? I mean, holy cow, did you hear Patrick? It didn't take me long to go, yes, I wanna hear what you have to say for another six verses or whatever it is, right? Like it, they, it pulls you in. If you hear a great melody, you know what I mean. In the choir, it happens all the time. They sing one phrase of a new song and then they're like, oh, this is gonna be a great song or they're like, oh Lord. But anyway, <laughs> but a great melody, <laughs> you know, there's different reactions, but a great melody can draw you in really fast. But we also know that great melodies will, can last an entire lifetime and live inside of our lifetimes. This is explained by things such as like the Alzheimer patients that they um, video who remember all the words to Amazing Grace and can still sing the melody even though they've forgotten their families, they've forgotten how to feed themselves and a lot of other critical things. Those melodies somehow sink so deeply within their spirit that they remember those melodies. So melody is a really powerful part of the way in which music works. But it's really hard to describe, let me just tell you. Here's an attempt to describe melody. You're gonna love this, Webster's is really great. It's a, it's a rhythmic succession of single notes, usually within the range of a musical key, which is pleasing to the ear. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that kind of describes it, right? But it doesn't really get at the essence of melody. But let's see if we can make some sense of that. Rhythm means like, you know, the punctuation of time, right? These, these notes that create the melody or craft the melody come at intervals of time. Some of them are long, some of them are short, but it somehow, in, with this punctuation of time, the melody unfolds in a rhythmic way. So that's one thing he's try they're trying to say. 
The other they're saying is successive. So if Tyler, if I asked Tyler to go over and play all the notes to the first phrase of Amazing Grace on the piano at the same time, I doubt you're going to know that it's Amazing Grace, right? Because they have to come one at a time in succession with rhythmic punctuation for us to kind of recognize what the tune is. So it's one note at a time with a rhythmic sense. And then pleasing to ear. Well, I don't really want to get into too much of that because that's contextual and frankly, based on the culture we're raised in, things that sound pleasing to us might sound bare bones to somebody in India who's got quarter tones and half tones and going, why are these people only using seven notes? I don't get it, right? So it's really contextual, but it means that it's something that we readily hear, something we're willing to embrace and we find it to be something we can enter into. It's a tune we feel like we're comfortable with. So that explains melody really well, right? Not really. <laughs> melody is really, really hard to describe. It's kind of like grabbing water. The minute you think you've got it, it's gone, and it's kind of slipping on somewhere else. And I think that's because the only way to describe melody is through melody itself. You have to hear melody in time for you to understand melody. And because you've heard so many over your lifetime, you have a sense of melody, right? You know one when you hear one. When we hear Patrick sing his first phrase, when we sing the first words of for the beauty, we hear the melody. We know that that is a melody and we know it's coming forth. We recognize them. For instance, do, 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 do. Yeah, we all know the melody, right? Which, by the way, is not Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. It's not, even, it's not even Mozart, although people say Mozart wrote it. It's actually an old French folk song that Mozart arranged as arrangement, a bunch of uh, arrangements for, and that's how it became a well-known melody. But we, we recognize melody, we can hear melody, and we can sing melody, but it's really hard to describe melody. Beethoven tried, though. Here's Beethoven. Well, I don't know if he was trying so much to describe it as talk about it, but he's trying to do both. And he says, from the glow of enthusiasm, I let the melody escape. I pursue it breathless. I catch up with it. It flies again. It disappears. It plunges into the chaos of diverse emotions, and I catch it again. I seize it, and I embrace it with delight. Beethoven's a little passionate about melody, you can really tell. But look, the power of melody is undeniable. It's undeniable. And great composers, even mediocre composers, know this. We know this. Because they work really hard to craft melodies that are easy, attractive to the ear and easy to sing. We want you to be humming the tune on the way out of church or out of a concert. Composers who write... Uh, for uh, the market wants you to be going into the store and buying things because the melodies are uplifting your spirit. Pay attention to the music that's playing in the markets when you go. There, there's a reason they're playing the songs that they play. I noticed in the antique stores, they're starting to play the music that I grew up with in high school because people my age are in the antique stores, right? <laughs> so there's a reason they're playing the melodies they're playing. They want to entice you and draw you in Commercials use this all the time. They write what they call jingles, right? They want, you think of da 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 dum bum ba da dum bum ba da dum, right? A lot of us know it's Carol the Bells, but a bunch of us think of it as the diamond commercial, right? Because it's so tied to go get your girl some diamonds at Christmas. It's so tied to it, right? It's, um, 
they know what they're doing. They're putting really attractive things to melody to entice and draw you in. And there's a word for it. By the way, Tyler's really good at these. These things that catch these is called the hook. And I bet you know some of the hooks. It's what draws you into the song. So if I go like this, stop. (laughs) Yeah, it's a hook. It catches everybody, right? Might not know any of the words to the rest of the song, but we know that. It's the hook. Or how about this? I want to hold your hand. That's right. That's right. And how about one for the church? We might as well do one for the church. Shine. Sean, yeah, yeah. We've got these hooks that draw us into the song. Never mind that we may not know what the rest of the song is. We might even be singing theology that we don't even agree with. We're so caught up in the hook that sometimes we forget what the rest of the song is about. And that's how we're drawn in. This hook is really interesting. We may not, I've already said that. I wonder though, what melodies you are carrying in your hearts and minds is it the music of your first dance? Is it the music that, is it the melody that you used, you heard as a teenager as you were trying to figure out who you were going to be? Is it the lullabies you sing to your, sing to your children or sing to your children? Maybe it's the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean, like my dad, he carries those all through his life. He's always loved those melodies and those, those songs. I'd like you to think for a moment of a melody that's had some significance in your life. And then I want you to turn to a neighbor and share it with them and why it was significant. Ready? Go. So let's stop there. All right. Great. I am guessing that for most of you, it was really easy to think of a melody that had some significance to you, right? It's not very hard to get. For me, it was Carol of the Bells, which I sang a little bit ago because in my high school choir, that was the song we sang as a processional into our Christmas concert back when we were still allowed to have Christmas concerts every year. And even though I was not raised in the church, it was the place where I know that I first started feeling the pull. And I don't know how to explain the pull. I just know it was this deep-rooted feeling, and I still get it. And I tell the choir, if I pass out, just keep singing. But it's like this, this deep, deep pull inside my spirit that pulls me forth. And that was the song that I think was one of the touchstones in my life. Those melodies become the touchstones for us. Well, I want to tell you that melody teaches me about grace. It does. Just as the melody of a, of, of a song or single notes in a row, some high, some low, one after another, my life has been a bit like that, and I'll bet yours has been too. Um, during the process of going into ministry, I've had to answer this question more often than I want to already, which is, tell us about your journey of faith. That is a hard question to ask or to answer when you were not raised in the church because you, I, I often feel like I don't have a grounding because all of my faith experience pretty much is as, as an adult. I found the church in my 20s. And so answering that question can be difficult. But the, the idea of melody unfolding across a staff really helps me understand it. Like the first note, I imagine, 
in the melody that is grace in my story was my grandparents who we lived with when I was one years old while my dad was in Vietnam taking us to church with them. They were faithful people. I don't remember going to church with them, but I bet that was the first note, right? I'll bet that was the first one. I think of another note coming across in the fifth grade still when I was a child, and maybe some of you, in the fifth grade in the public schools, we still got a small Bible that was the Psalms and the Gospels. They gave them to us in the fifth grade. And I remember reading it and not knowing it, not knowing what I was reading, but I remember reading it. That's another note. I think of a camp I went to with a friend of mine who was faithful, another note in the song. The songs that we sang in this school choir while we were, when we were still allowed to sing things like For the Beauty of the Earth, which was another touch point for me, were the notes that have started crafting the melody of my life. Um, I wonder what things you remember as the first ways that God spoke to you in your life. See, I didn't know God yet at that time. I had no idea who God was yet. But God was speaking to me through those things, right? I wonder where God was seeking you out, where God spoke to you before you started walking with God. Did you see signs that God was reaching out to you? Or if you're still on the journey of figuring out who God is and you haven't decided yet, where are the touchstones that God has right now drawing you in? So if you can think of one of those, we're going to share again. And I want you to turn to a neighbor and think of a touchstone of that moment before, those moments before. Ready? Go. All right, I'm going to draw you back in. I know I'm not giving you a lot of time, but I still got things to say, right? So, (laughs) all right. You know, even though finding those moments can be a little harder to do than remembering your favorite song, it's still a really significant part of remembering our life of grace and faith. It's important for us to acknowledge those first moments that God was speaking to us because Unlike creation and the arts, which seem to kind of come out of nothing, the love of God does not come out of nothing. It begins with the grace of God, evident in our lives. It is there. In Wesleyan theology, which is the the theology of the Methodist church and several other churches that are Wesleyan, this facet of grace that God extends to us before we enter into relationship with God is known as provenient grace. Now that's some church speak, right? But provenient is really just a fancy word for before. It is the way that grace works before we enter into a relationship with God. However, let me take a moment to be clear about grace as well. Just as melody is only one aspect of a song or of music, provenience is only one aspect of the way that grace works. There is only one grace. It is the grace of God. But it works in a lot of different ways. And a lot of us know this because we've seen grace at work in our lives in a multitude of ways. But it is all one grace from God. Provenience is one way that that grace works. 
Now, John Wesley tried to describe this in a lot of his different sermons. The, the best one I got was this. Let's see if this is any more helpful than the, the um, definition of melody. He says, salvation begins with what's usually termed provenient grace, including the first wish to please God, the first dawn of light concerning his will, and the first slight transient conviction of having sinned against him. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit like the grace or the melody definition, right? It's kind of hard and it's hard to unpack and it's a lot of stuff. And it may be that in the end, the only thing that can define grace is grace itself. However, let me see if I can put a little clarity around that for you. This is a divine grace that precedes our human decision and is refusable. We can choose to accept it or we can choose to say no to it. In Wesleyan theology, everybody is extended the grace of God. doesn't matter who they are. It is, it is our act of saying yes that comes next. But provenient grace is there for everyone. And that is really beautiful and a really beautiful thing to remember. It is the way God shows love to each of us individually before we know who God is. It's the evidence of God active in our lives, and it's a gift to all persons, whether they respond or not. God stirs up with this gift of grace in us a desire to know God, and he empowers our response to God's invitation to be in relationship. This same grace, this provenient grace, is the one that helps us discern moral decisions and points us towards good, which we hope is, you know, God. Because God, for lack of a better word, is gooder, right, than anything, right? So point us there. God is the actor in grace. We are the recipient. But we have a role, too. And we'll talk about that a little more next week. God crafts the melody that draws us into the song. And Jesus is the hook, right? It's amazing how this works. And that's where I come to our reading today. We heard one of the most beautiful passages from John today. It's extraordinarily beautiful and it's really hard to preach after it because it's really a sermon in itself. It's so gorgeous. But we hear in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Well, most of us know that in this context, the word with a capital W means Jesus. That Jesus was there in the very beginning of beginnings already as a part of the God of the God that we know with a plan in place to love us and bring us back into relationship before we were even we right from the very first moment in that blank space on the blank page before it says in the beginning Jesus was already there now that's provenience to the max right that, that God had already created a reconciling plan, had already planned to love us and draw us into the song that is grace from the first moment. So that, to me, is really incredible. Um, this means that love, which does not begin at nothing, was present at creation in our story. Amazing. Jesus was there in the beginning. The song, I'm going to say it again, the melody that is God and God's grace was already at work, extending love to us before we knew anything existed. Listen to this again. 
What has come into being in him was life. And that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. It's the melody. It's the light. It's God calling us in. Saying, beloved, come. Right? So powerful. All that's left is our response. Like I said, we'll talk about that a little next week. So I'm going to leave you with this task, this thing to think about. If you've already said yes to a relationship with God, I wonder how you might this week go into the world and help point others to the active work of God in their lives so that they might also understand God at some day and be able to turn and say yes. Can you point out where God is drawing the melody of grace across their life? Think about that. Or, like I said earlier, if you're still on that journey, you still have not said yes to God, which is totally fine. Totally fine. Nobody here is ever going to tell you you have to. That is not the way this particular church works. But if you're still trying to figure out what God is doing in your life, then try to be open to the way in which God is calling you into relationship and notice where those places are. So I wonder if we can do that this week, and I hope that we can. I have a really beautiful friend. His name is Joe. You've heard about him a lot of times because we sing a lot of his music here. But he's also a really dear friend. He calls me a lot. We talk a lot, and it's not always about music. But one of his favorite songs, one that I've asked them to do someday when I have my memorial, my celebration of life, is called Sometimes I Hear God's Music, and it starts like this. Sometimes I hear God's music like none I've heard before. The music of the gentle brook, the ocean's mighty roar, the singing of the nightingale, the thunder's mighty noise, the silence of the starry sky, and I must add my voice. Wow. Talk about responding to pervenient grace, the grace that sings to us. May we all know the melody that's calling each of us into deeper love each day. And may you feel compelled to add your voice to the melody that is no longer the chaos of nothing. It is not the chaos of everything, but it is the very life of grace and faith. In the name of God, the great composer, Jesus, the living song, and the spirit which sings across our lives. Amen.